Coming up on Home Dunk, 18-year NBA veteran Jerry Stackhouse and no NBA year veterans Mike Fotis and me. It's Home Dunk. I hit a home dunk. I wish that you had shown up. I played over my head. Everything was off the charts. I jumped out the gymnasium and knocked it out the park. In a handstand, hit a grand slam, it was a great day for the fans, man. I got three sacks and broke three bats. I gave the crowd money plus free snacks. I did a hat trick and a backflip. It's on ESP and Classic, and you weren't there, and it hurt me to watch them retire. Give my jersey, I hit a home dunk. Thank you, Open Mike Eagle, for that catchy theme song, that earworm. I am John Moe. Uh, we're going to talk to uh, Cherry Stackhouse. Cherry Stackhouse, the man... Uh, derisively nicknamed Airy Stackhouse in his first year in the league because it was felt that he had no J. Ah, poor Jerry Stackhouse. He made two all-star teams. We're going to talk to him. But first, we're going to talk to Mike Fotis, because, Mike, you're always selected ahead of Jerry Stackhouse. NBA draft, our show, it's it just always happens. Yeah, it's frustrating for him, but it's really good for me. Yeah. We've, uh, we've talked a lot about James Harden on this program uh, because we have sort of, uh, I don't, I don't want to say deified, but uh, whatever the demigod form of deified is to him, that's what we've done. He's kind of our answer to everything. Like, yeah. how do you make it better? Well, James add Harden. a little bit of Harden. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Like, what's... Uh, you know, when, uh, why couldn't R.E.M. put out any uh, real good albums after Green? They didn't have enough Harden. They didn't have enough James Harden in them. And so then, this week, uh, in a game between the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Houston Rockets, things got a little physical, and James Harden kicked LeBron James right in the swimsuit area and ended up getting suspended for a game, not just a game, a game against the Atlanta Hawks a team of men without names who win all the basketball games. So uh, did, did you see the the clip? I've watched the clip over and over. Over and over and over again. It's well, that sounded, It's undeniable. It, ha, it went straight to the swimsuit area, but I'm yeah. going to defend James Harden on several counts what? here. Okay. One, I think he just wanted LeBron to get off of him. Yes. I think he was just randomly kicking, and that's where it ended up. I've watched this in slow motion. It's like I, you Zapruder this Yeah, thing. I totally did. I really think that's what happened. And again... I think this is just great James Harden. This is just Harden being Harden. Because who else kicks LeBron James in a basketball game? Nobody kicks LeBron James. James Harden was like, get off of me. Yeah. It wasn't like they were just running down the court doing nothing, and then he did like a crazy kung fu kick. Like, they were fighting for the ball. Yeah. Yeah, it it wasn't a a premeditated act, but it was still a a kick to the swimsuit area. Yeah, I'm not saying the guy shouldn't be defended, but I think it's it's great that he did it. (laughs) I just love James Harden so much. Well, I I think it's, uh, you know, I I can't quite endorse the kicking of of guys in the swimsuit area, but uh, I do think it's pretty interesting the uh, the symbolism at play here because LeBron James has been the de facto best player in basketball for a long, long time now, since 1960, I think, is when he came into the league. And uh, James Harden is the seems to be the front runner for MVP this year and is also named James. And the Houston Rockets put out a tweet uh, with a picture of James Harden and all of his stats in games against the Cavaliers. You know what the headline was? King James. King James. I thought it was great. Yeah. 
Oh, so maybe maybe this is maybe this is either the future or the present kicking the present or even dare we say it the past in the swimsuit area. Yeah, I think it is all of those things. And I'm not saying I want to go back to the early 90s of the NBA where it was just what well, was all Bill Lambeers and one good player. You know what yeah, I mean? I right. don't really want that. But it was kind of nice to see some scrappiness happening. Yeah. Well, there's there's more scrappiness, too. There was this game between the Heat and the Suns, which is, of course, a philosophical quandary. Because yeah, how can really. Heat defeat Suns or Suns defeat Heat? They really should merge together. They really should merge to be enormous hot Suns. Um, but so these are these are... This was a game where a lot of guys got kicked out. Uh, Markeith Morris, Hassan Whiteside, uh, a guy named Len, from, uh, which is his last <laughs> name. Uh, he recorded the hit song Steal My Sunshine many years ago, and, uh, and now he plays for the Phoenix Suns. And, and right in the middle of it all was uh, Goran Dragic, mm-hmm. the Dragic figure. <laughs> and uh, mixing things up and uh, and causing trouble. And he just hates the Phoenix Suns. And I still don't quite get why, but man, he hates those people who paid him millions and millions of dollars. Because he forced a trade, right? Yeah. Yeah. He. I have, a qu- I have a question for you. All right. Is he even good? Like, that's why everybody kind right. of talks like he's, he's good, but I don't think he's good enough to be forcing trades. Yeah. No, I, I, I think... I, I don't think he's that good, but he was very – here's what's weird and, and why I think there must be more to the story. He was reportedly upset in Phoenix because he was just another guy in a three-guard rotation with Eric Bledsoe and Isaiah Thomas. So then the Suns traded away Dragic, and they traded away Isaiah Thomas. And so they – like, is that – I, I don't so get it. So he was mad because he was asked to play basketball? I mean, that's <laughs> what you're supposed because to do. Because other guys might also play basketball. Yeah, so he might have to pass the ball or be part of a five-person team. Like, yeah. I don't know. That seems sort of strange to me. And I'm not saying that I'm big on fighting. I'm actually kind of not, but I'm taking the pro-fighting stance today. Sure. Because I saw the play that Morris went after him with the layup and yeah. stuff. It was a pretty hard foul. Yeah. I, I guess you could argue that it maybe wasn't totally intentional, but it felt like I think it was super intentional because once again I watched it several times. Yeah, I don't think he meant to throw him twelve rows into the crowd, <laughs> like, right. which is what happened. Right. But there was some message there. I think it was more saying you're kind of annoying. Yeah. Now I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna slam into you. Now I'm going to thump upon you. Yeah. I I I don't know. I mean, Goran and his brother Zoran. Did you know Zoran was also part of that trade? Zor- I did not. <laughs> yeah, Zoran went with his brother to Miami from the the Suns to the Heat, and is a better basketball player than anyone we will probably ever meet in person. But still sucks real bad compared to the rest of the <laughs> NBA. Speaking. Yeah, but here's what I don't get about athletes and about uh, this whole issue, and it seems to come up a lot in basketball: is minutes. Everybody's craving minutes. And I guess it seems very immature to me because, you know, you have a job, you're getting paid your money, you get to go out there. Is it because if they play more, they can put up better stats and they can get more millions of dollars? Or are they just just really want to play a game? I think they say the only thing that really works when you want to punish a player is maybe not the right word, but when you want to get a message across, the only thing that really affects them, you know, it's not fines, although... That would affect me. Yes. If you find me $10,000, I would <laughs> stop what I was doing. First, I would pay you $10,000. <laughs> but they say, so I think, yeah, taking away minutes is a big deal. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I this is all this is the thing we've talked about before. How I I would always have wanted to be the third string quarterback because yeah. there's no pressure. And but then I think that to get to that situation in the first place, you must be uh, so competitive and want to play so much that you just uh, you insist upon it. Well, I think like if I think of it from a sketch writing point of view, yeah, like I don't want. Like my lines, take it away. If lines are minutes, uh-huh. <laughs> you know what I mean. Like right. I want to get all my sketch. Re- you want to get your my, sketch into the game. All my gags and bits in there. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean. So maybe that's it. Because I'm not competitive about sports as much as I am about <laughs> other parts of my life. So, oh, by the way, we cut all your sketches for the show this week. No, yeah. find me ten thousand dollars. <laughs> Trade me to the Miami Heat public really radio quick. show. Yes. Wouldn't it be cool if the third brother was named Scorin? Because <laughs> that would be the best nickname. Or well, they should change it either to a nickname or find a third brother. Because that is a basketball Scoron Dragic, and then uh, and then the one who never really leaves the house or wants to play basketball is Boren. Yes, <laughs> it's outstanding. Make sure to send us your idea for new Dragic brothers. Uh, write to me at jmo at mpr.org. The one who's really organized is called Storin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do you know what the sleepy one is called? No. Snoring dragon. Yeah. Sometimes they run into <laughs> you know, you know who they see very rarely is uh is their brother who uh travels a lot. Who's that? Oh, uh, that's Torin. <laughs> he's got a satin jacket with all the names of all the places he's gone right on the back. Oh, we're terrible, terrible people. One of the uh, brothers has a really short haircut. You oh, really? No, no. What's his name? It's Shorin. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Oh, okay. Staying in the NBA, the Denver Nuggets have fired their coach Brian Shaw mm-hmm. um, because everybody has to have a former point guard coaching their team. Well, that makes sense. It's federal law. And uh, did you see the the incident that? probably led to this what 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 it was all about i heard about it yeah so they're coming out of a huddle and uh they say you know like on three nuggets or on three go team they say on three they say six weeks and it happened right at the time that there were six weeks left in the season of a lost season where their good players are fighting with each other and the coach or regressing to being worse players uh the team insists that now, the, the six weeks refer to the last time they won at home was six weeks ago, and uh, you know they want to be motivated by that. It just so happened to fall at the exact same time as six weeks to go in the season. Can you imagine, like, because we know that that's, that's not true. They were, they were talking to the rest of the season. Yes. How much would your feelings be hurt? I don't care if you're, like, a head coach who's supposed to be toughened and, you know, like, battle-scarred and all that. Like, if I heard my team break a huddle by basically saying, he's almost gone, I would be really sad. <laughs> like, I don't even know if I could draw up a play. I would just draw up sad faces. <laughs> <laughs> just, just sit there and, and be sad. What's wrong with coach? He's sad. Pass the ball to my frown. <laughs> <laughs> and it's even more hard for for Shaw because he's one of uh, Jackson's assistants, your know, ex-assistants. Yeah. And he was an assistant for a really, really long time. And everybody, every broadcast they had on, they'd always like cut to Shaw and they'd be like, there's a future head coach in waiting, just waiting for his shot. Yeah. And then yeah. this was his shot. Yeah, no, the, for years he has been the you know, in waiting and now he's now he's waiting again. I saw, did you happen to read the article about... Uh, the coaching tree of Phil Jackson. 
Yeah. Aside from Steve Kerr, they have not done very well. Ah. They don't even have a winning percentage, I think, over 40%. Oh, my God. So, wow. He might be able to teach basketball to players, but not coaches. And then finally, I, I guess we should talk on about this. Uh, the, the hockey trade deadline has come and gone. Well, if there's anything we're experts on, it's hockey. Yeah. And I think, uh, I mean, let's just, let's just take a shot at, at uh, analyzing what went down. Sure. Houston. Uh, I think made out pretty well. Yeah, they got uh, they got a guy who skates towards. Yep, yep. Alexnikov, I think his name is, and uh, who else? New Orleans. Uh, New Orleans made some some big deals. Tell us about those deals, Mike. Well, the first deal they made was better refrigeration system so right. that the ice stayed frozen because so they was, were sw- they were skating on a, on a swamp yeah so it wasn't it was a really it was a home ice advantage but yeah in the sense because there was no ice yeah they brought in a guy named stevie johnson stevie johnson he's not really well known as a hockey player but can he play hockey no he's he can't play hockey at oh, all yeah. but they got him for a really good deal sure and he also has a van Okay. So that helps because the bus, they don't have a big enough bus for all the players. Yeah. So he's going to drive some guys around. Okay, good, good. And uh, was, uh, did did they pull off, I'm trying to think, they pulled off a, a deal with, was it Moose Jaw? Yes. Moose Jaw. It was Moose Jaw. Yeah. What did Moose Jaw get in that deal? Uh, Moose Jaw got a giant bouquet of chocolate covered fruit. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they wanted. Sure. Um, and they sent a player named Igor Shkornorgovich uh-huh. down there. Scandinavian Russian player. Scandinavian Russian player. Yeah. And he has very strong forearms. Oh. So and he can't skate, but he makes up for that by being able to hit the puck really hard, which yeah. is how you say it. You hit the puck really hard. Yeah, you hit the puck. Yeah. Really hard. And With then, the puck hitting thing. Yeah. So they everybody just clears out of the way and he fires away. Yeah, well, you know, you, it's uh, it's a fascinating world hockey. I I still think uh, heading toward the 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 Stanley Trophy championships, uh, my money is on uh, Columbia South Carolina's team to uh, to take it all. What do you think? Oh yeah, I think so. Yeah, because they have bylaws in their team where they can have more players on the ice. Right. At once, they can have so, up to a hundred. Yeah. So if you have a hundred players on the ice, you're gonna do pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like. It being a, a more temperate uh, environment there, the ice has all melted. Mm-hmm. So maybe New Orleans will be a, will be used to that and be able to compete with them. But you know, not like Vancouver or Detroit or no, well, Boston Vancouver, certainly. They're going to be pretty good. I mean, another problem with New Orleans is they decided as a team they weren't going to use sticks this year. Oh, like as a team building exercise, uh-huh. like how we might go on like a ropes. Right. Ropes course. Like, like they we were... are the sticks. We don't need other right. sticks. That's exactly yeah. what it is. Yeah. So that was their that was their slogan uh this year in all their marketing materials. We are the sticks, and then they all dressed up like the members of the band sticks. Yeah. Yeah. And it worked. Like they sell out constantly. Yes. But they have a bad record. Yeah, they have a bad they're terrible at hockey, but uh their their rendition of Come Sail Away is just getting stronger and stronger yeah. and stronger. Big time. Lots of downloads. It's very good. All right. Mike Fotis, thanks. Thank you.
I do not understand basketball from an on-the-court level. Whenever I got involved in organized basketball, it was usually someone asking me to leave the court so the better players could play. But Jerry Stackhouse knows a lot about basketball, multi-year NBA veteran, multiple all-star game appearances, and he joins us now. Hello, Jerry Stackhouse. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. I want to start, you know, a lot of people were talking about Dean Smith a couple weeks ago, and I never got to talk to anybody who's actually played for the man. How would you describe Dean Smith to someone who had never heard of him? I mean, he was just an unbelievable teacher, not just a basketball teacher, but a life teacher. I think it meant more to him that guys went on and and had productive lives in society and and represented the University of North Carolina that way than going on to play professional basketball. That was just part of it, you know, but he really groomed us to be able to be successful, not just on the basketball court, but be able to uh, treat people the right way. And I think that's who Coach Smith was. I mean, he was so personable, everybody that he's ever met. I mean, he he made it his business to to know their name and be able to recall your name the next time that he saw you. I thought that was one of the most amazing attributes from him. You know how much effort it takes to be able to remember. So I can't remember anything, and he remembered everything. So that just that's just how special he was. Can you remember a particular moment between you and Coach Smith that had a huge impact on you? Uh, I, it was a lot of moments, but I think one in particular was some of the tests that, that Coach Smith would bring you through as a young player coming in, highly touted, and everybody singing your praises. That that was kind of Coach's thing to kind of bring you back down, break you back down, to build you back up. You know, and the rest is history. I mean, I, you know, another year in North Carolina, I'm the third pick in the draft, and I'm. You know, I play 18 years in the NBA. Well, so then you, you go to the NBA, you play 18 seasons, you play for a ton of coaches. Were there any coaches you had in the pros that reminded you of Smith, or was he just completely one of a kind? Not many. Yeah. <laughs> not many. And that's just, I think that's a credit to him and not so much a discredit to those guys. I just think Coach was so detail-oriented. I mean, he knew the exact times. I mean, we never really started practice at 5 o'clock or you know, six o'clock. It was five oh three, and we, you know, we had our water break at at five twenty nine. You know, what I'm saying? So, <laughs> it just, so it was just those little things that he wanted to make sure that he was meticulous with how we prepared and and the, and the little details of how we prepared. And you know, it was rare that I saw that at the pro level. But there were a couple coaches that uh, Avery Johnson comes to mind. He was one of those guys that was. Uh, loved to watch film, loved to watch tape. His system, which was bred out of you know playing under Greg Popovich, who had that that link to Larry Brown, which also had that link back to Coach Smith. So right. I just think some of those principles that was passed down to Avery, I saw again. You know, remember when I was doing some of those same things when I was at North Carolina. So I guess I think he and you know maybe Rick Carlisle and some of the analytics stuff. I mean, I think you know people think analytics just started now, but Coach Smith was. You know, he he was always about points per possession and making sure that we got more offensive rebounds and trips to the line so at least we were getting one point out of our possession. And I think people didn't really understand that at the time, but they're starting to get a better feel for that now with all the analytics talk. Yeah. I mean, is there such a thing as a player's coach? It's a term fans hear all the time. Oh, he's a player's coach or he's a disciplinarian. Is that a real thing? Well, yeah, I think there's. I think there is. I think there's guys that have played that can relate to some of the things that you know players go through during the course of a season and and try to make amends and how they do things because of 
them being able to be in that seat. But at the same time, I think you still need to have a firm hand. In my mind, the best coaches I had were the ones where I knew it was their way or the highway. And uh-huh. I think those, are, if you know, as players, and as, it's almost like dealing with children when you're dealing with players. If you give them one inch, they're going to try to take two, three, and maybe a whole foot. Yeah. So there's got to be a point to where you say, no, all right, yeah, we can, you know, we had a tough back-to-back. And you know, and I played the game, so I know we're gonna we're gonna sleep in this morning, and we're just gonna have a a, a light workout before, um, before we play tonight. As opposed to the coach that didn't play, right? Well, you know, still want to try to get up that morning and and, and run drills. And, and I think that's yeah. where the players, coach, come in. But for the most part, man, you got to You got to rule with it with a, with a firm hand to be able to have success at the coaching rank. Have you seen coaches adapt? Uh, significantly to the the players that they have. I mean, I know you've been working in in Detroit. Is Stan Van Gundy different now than when he coached in Orlando or Miami? Uh, well, I would hope so. I, mean, I think some of the things that kind of was his demise in Orlando dealt with his relationship and with Dwight Howard and how he played that out in the media. And mm-hmm. hopefully, you know, going forward, those are things that you know. Hopefully, he learned from. You, know, you look at guys like uh, again, like a Rick Carlisle. I think he he knew. You know, some of his strengths was basketball, and a few of his weaknesses were his communication skills and just having been more personable with the players. He was great basketball-wise. I think over years he realized that and he got better at that, and I think Stan has probably gotten better at that, making sure that he communicate things to the players and, and not throw them you know, under the bus by pretty much going to the media first. And I think that that kind of went south in Orlando, and I'm quite sure that he's he's learned from that and, and making amends. I mean, but he's he's wearing both hats there. I mean, being the yeah. president and the, and the head coach, that could be a little bit of a power <laughs> issue going forward. You're the coach, and then you get to decide who's on your team as well. That's a lot of power. I mean, it's rare, but I think that that's maybe the trend that things are going to. I mean, you don't see that in many cases. I, I don't know if the pendulum is really swinging completely that way but yeah. when you see you know Stan gets that and, and how you know how he was hired you know he didn't really go the traditional route of having an agent and now the search firms are becoming more of a you know novelty with with, with coaching hires um, where you see more you know coaches try to go toward that trend of hiring a search firm as opposed to doing the agent I don't know but I mean it's not like I said I don't know if the penalty is going completely that way because there's still only two with Stan and um and Doc Rivers. Yeah. So we're we're in the second half of the season now. We're the playoffs are are looming. They're on the way. But I, I wanted to talk to you after the the trade deadline because there was this huge flurry of activity, and now we've had a week or two to start seeing how some of those moves might have worked out. Who do you think? Who do you think has really helped themselves with mid season uh, transactions this time around? Well, I, I, you have to point to OKC. I think the moves that they made, you know, bringing in DJ Augustine and you know the, those and the players like that, that especially with Russell Westbrook on the man right now, I think he was a godsend for them. And some of the other pieces, Kyle Singler, and uh, you know now McCrary's playing well, even though he wasn't in the trade. But I just think they were one of the teams that benefited the most. A lot of those other trades, there was a lot of action around the deadline, but I don't think it was really players that really tilt the, the scale or tip the balance. I don't, I don't think any team is going to make a huge run um, and, and change their position because of any trades they made at the deadline. I mean, it was some good movement, and I think there's some pieces that could, could help teams in different areas, but there just wasn't one of those tipping point guys that 
totally shake things up in, in my mind. And what do you make of the Spurs right now? Because that's been that's been vexing me. <laughs> like they, because it seems like they always play possum a little bit through the course of the regular season, and then they come on strong. But boy, they uh, is it the end of the uh, the dynasty for the Spurs right now? I'm not ready to count them out yet. Like I said, it is the regular season, and if there's anybody that can get it right and understands what buttons to push, it is pop. And I think that. They're going to be there. I mean, they may hit some bumps in the road. They maybe feel a little bit older during the months of uh, February, March, but I think they're, they're kicked back into speed in April. I mean, you never, never, ever, ever, from the great words of Rudy Tom, Tom Janovich, never underestimate the heart of a champion. And that's what they are multiple times over, and I think that they'll be right there again in the thick of things. It really don't matter where they're seated at, whether they're seventh, whether they're eighth, whether they're sixth. Anybody that plays them to know that they're going to be prepared and it's going to be uh, as tough as it can can be to try to beat them four times. You ever think about getting into coaching? I love it, man. I'm, I'm coaching now. I do the grass. Uh, I'm doing it at the grassroots level. Yeah, I've been doing it uh, even while I was playing. Probably I've had a I started with a group that they were seventh graders and eighth graders, and now they're seniors this year. And I had you know got quite a few kids going to, to college, so. I'm That's proud great. of that and excited, but I'm just just getting my sea legs under me a little bit, and possibly uh, I, I just wouldn't want to have that ceiling. Um, I even contemplating going back to school, kind of getting some graduate education, just to be able to do more than just coach. I love to be able to you know have do something in the front office and help run a team. You know that way I have a chance at two jobs. When they fire, when I have to fire the coach, I can fire him, fire him, and then take over as a coach before they fire us all. So right, right. That's what Popovich did originally. He was the exactly, the GM. Exactly. And... So that, that, that might that might be the formula for me. But I absolutely, <laughs> I never thought when I was playing that I would want to coach. But now when I get out on the floor with with the kids and see them get better and, and improve, and even my last few years of playing, it was that mentor role and being able to. Still get out there and compete a little bit, but definitely staying in guys' ears and trying to make sure they're understanding what's going on the court. Totally love that aspect of it, and, and hopefully one day have a chance to have that head seat at the at the pro level or at some you know at the high level of college one one day soon. Well, you see, you should have been a point guard because the point guards now seem to go directly from playing and then they're coaching a, an NBA team the next day. Right, right. I mean, <laughs> it's kind of tougher for some of the other you know positions, and yeah. I think it's. You talk about like with Patrick Ewing, a guy that has been laboring as an assistant coach who you know definitely knows the game, but he just hadn't been able to find that that opening or, or whatever. People I don't know where they look at him as a as a mind that's able ready to to run a whole organization, and I don't know why. Maybe it's just because of the position, and I don't think you know Derek Fisher is any better suited to 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 run the New York Knicks than Patrick Ewing will. I mean, is at this you know particular time. So, but yeah, point guards kind of got to little bit of a, you know, heads up on guys because they're the ones that they're, they're the extension of the coach, so to speak, and right. they're supposedly understand the game better than, than maybe the other players on the floor. But I, I don't buy that. I think I, I can match my wits with any point guard that that has played during my era when it comes to trying to teach the game and understand the game. Finally, Jerry, when I told people I was going to be talking to you, the one thing everybody wanted to know: Why'd you punch Christian Leitner on an airplane? Oh man, that's what man. It was crazy. It just happened, man. It's the heat of the heat of the moment. It got got emotional a little bit. He said, "Was it a, a card game?" That you never really say to another man, in my in my opinion. One of them starts with a B, and one of them starts with an MF. Okay. And I think that when you when you use those two 
then it kind of gets my my blood boiling a little bit. But otherwise, Leighton and I were, were pretty good friends during that year, man. We used to hang out a little bit. He's not he's really not as bad as people make him out to be, but he can be very very moody at times. But I mean, he's the type of guy that we come in and we hang out, have a beer somewhere one night, you know, watching the game, and we come in the next morning and you know. He may not even speak. So, but, but, so, but other than that, man, we we did have a pretty good run that year when we were in Detroit. But there, there is something about Christian Leitner that that makes everybody want to punch him in the head a little bit. Well, maybe, maybe I did it for everybody. But <laughs> you did that. You not, took... not, not something I, I'm, I'm proud of at this point. And certainly not, uh, not your legacy, Jerry Stackhouse, NBA veteran, All Star, and uh, you're working up in Detroit right now, right? I've been going up there doing some some TV stuff, but I work at, at Turner Broadcasting at NBA TV, and I do some stuff with Sirius XM NBA. So I'm, I'm bouncing around, kind of doing more of the consultant freelance thing right now, so I don't have to be locked into any one place. Because, like I said, my passion is coaching and getting these kids into tournaments and different stuff. So we're traveling all across the country, so it helps my my schedule stay flexible. So I, I'm enjoying that right now. There we go. We'll keep an eye on you. We'll see what you do next, Jerry Stackhouse. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thank you. And turning to the rankings for harness racing, looks like Aaron Merriman is still in first place with wins with 145. Corey Callahan is at 139. But get this, Callahan has 1.2 million in earnings to Merriman's 792,000. So the message here, go to the races, Corey Callahan wins and, and, and try to beat him. Uh, way down in 10th place, Alfred G. Carroll. No surprise there. Home Dunk is part of the Infinite Guest Podcast Network. You can find all sorts of podcasts to cast upon pods at infiniteguest.org, including the all-new daily edition of TBTL with Luke Burbank and his co-host Andrew Walsh, where they talk about things and stuff that they deem to be important. Home Dunk is produced by Nina Patak. We get production help from Corey Schreppel and Steve Nelson and Peter Clowney and Zsa Zsa Gaboran Dragic and everybody all around the building. I'm John Moe. Bye now.